Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 472 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Jay Suri of Revolution Industry and ask them about the design and development of their sandbox cloud surfing adventure game, Airship Kingdoms Adrift. Bit of a long episode, this one. That's because uh, Jay and I do go on a bit because this game is rather complex and deep. There's lots and lots to it. And one of the most fascinating aspects we delve into is the idea of the community leading an aspect of its design. I won't say which bit, but yeah, you have to hang on there to the second half to find out which bit I'm talking about. First time we had a Taiwanese developer on the show as well, so that's a pleasure to have them on. And yeah, beautiful game, great guest, all the good things. So let's listen to me. From the relatively recent past, talk to Jay about the design and development of Airship Kingdoms Adrift. Hello, Jay. Hello, Chris. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Of course. Uh, I'm Jay. I am the studio director at Revolution Industry Game Studios from Thailand. Uh, We are at Thailand's capital. Bangkok, and we've just released our new game, Airship Kingdom Adrift. And yeah, uh, that's pretty much what I do, actually. Uh, You do indeed. Really, really looking forward to chatting to you about Airship Kingdoms Adrift, because it's an extraordinary game that keeps on giving. The more you pour into it, the more it gives back. It's one of those, everyone. But before we do into that, we need to find out a little bit more about you, Jay. Next question, then. How did you make your start making video games? Well, it's quite a history, actually. Uh, I decided to, well, to have my career in video game industry about 20 years ago, right when I graduated from university. It's something, there's something about Thai people and graduating from universities. Uh, I kind of guess it happened in other cultures as well, but we do pick what we do after that instead of high school for whatever reasons. And I, yeah, I decided to go into video game industry because back then it's new. 
uh, I was inspired by a lot of games from the from the eighties and nineties, and I do have something that I want to work on, and it's actually uh, it's actually what you have been playing, Airship Kingdom Adrift. Uh, yeah, I I have always been like I'm always been a big fan of the fantasy world in the skies. I pick a lot of that up from my childhood exposure to Western and uh, Western and Japan culture, practically. And I always want to create this world in the sky. And I've been somewhat of a honing my skills over the course of previous employments and previous businesses. Uh, I put together a team and there we go. 20 years later, I finally get to work on something I wanted to work on. So what were you doing prior to that? Was it contract work? Was it just basically doing small bits and pieces? Or was it actually working on games, licensed games? Was it that kind of thing? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of things, actually. I didn't start off with friends who share the same passion, you know. There's a lot of studios these days where people would come together as friends or they graduate together or they meet others online and they start doing things together. I didn't really have that, actually. Uh, there was uh, there was an, there was an already a video game development scenes in Thailand back then, somehow. And what I did was uh, I, well, I traveled to the capital. I came from Uptown, uh, get a job as a translator for a video game company, uh, that small video game company called Electronic Art. They, they do translate to Thai back then. And I did some translation job for them. I did some localization testing for them. And I then landed a job as, uh, as a uh, project coordinator somewhat as a Thai game studio. Back then they were working on PC games and uh, game for Nintendo Wii and Nintendo 3DS. Yes. And we were doing pretty much like small scale, small time casual games. I pretty much was uh, employees for multiple studios earlier in my career. I would finish a project with one studios and then studios would shut down and then I would move on to another studio and that would shut down and then I would move on to another studio. It's, it's, it's kind of like, I kind of guess reason game development scenes as well, mm, things haven't changed much. Uh, I managed to somewhat like make my big break about 10 years ago when mobile game becomes a thing and ended up starting a company with some, uh, with some foreign friends and investors that decided to open up their studios in Thailand. Uh, we, we did pretty well, actually. Uh, we made a mobile game with 20 million downloads, uh, there was a lot of money coming in back then, and then mobile game scene just pretty much disappeared for a small scales company after a couple of years in, after I made a big break. And then I've been somewhat doing a lot of work for hire, uh, running, uh, like, co-developing projects for other peoples, and, you know, pretty much doing something nowadays you guys would call trend hopping, I guess. Whenever something new comes up, we would go in, make some games, make some money, and then we hop out, we do something new again. Uh, until at one point, uh, 
me and the team, we started feeling that we need something that we could continue developing toward and working on. And I have, well, since it's pretty much my capital that bootstrapped the company, uh, and also like the way I look at how this kind of game, like Airship Kingdom, exists in uh, the broader game market at large. There are audience for this kind of game. They are always looking forward to the releases because they are few and far between. And once we check the statistic, once we check the uh, market viability, it's not a kind of game that we. It's not a kind of game that 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 like. You know that that comp that we could get beat up by competition or something like that. Of course, I mean expectations are high, but they are few and far in between. So we decided to go with it because I'm passionate about it, and the team is quite pretty much at the start uh, from from the start, uh, pump it up by the idea and the concept, and that's pretty much how we get started. Uh, it was. Around five years ago, it's just me and a couple of guys working on the concept. We were on and off back then. We don't really have big money, but I do have some revenue stream that I could tap into. And then we do uh, we did the pre-production based on that slowly until we pitched to the investor uh, a couple of years ago and found Revolution Industry. And that's pretty much when the production begins. We start recruiting people, and we are now 13 people uh, working together on the project and yeah, we have the release, and the game was pretty good. Yes, according to the review. Yeah, I'm just the the response on YouTube is phenomenal. It's just video after video of people just pouring hours into it. It's uh, quite a thing. But we're gonna have to keep our powder dry there, Jay, because we've got more questions to ask about you and uh, and your team. I think you've answered this a little bit already. The sixth question, but let's delve into it a little bit deeper. As a creator, which you are, could you tell us what do you believe are your biggest influences? Hmm. Well, my biggest influences uh, would be somehow somewhat Jap- uh, Japanese anime, especially the one from Studio, Studio Ghibli, As, and especially the work of Hayao Miyazaki. So, yeah, uh, you might have heard of Nausicaa, uh, of the Valley of the Wind, and Laputa, uh, Castle in the Sky, and so on and so forth. Those early earlier works like uh, have been a part of my childhood, and I grew up uh, watching it from time to time, and also watching it with my kids. So, yeah, it, it somehow managed to embed itself uh, into my memories and inspire me. Uh, toward this is also has inspired a lot of video game creators, like a lot of Final Fantasy series, which I also love. Also, brought a lot of reference from the work of Hayao Miyazaki, and then like I dwell on secondary development, and through that also a lot of like you know a lot of earlier. Mm, Blitzer's studio works were also inspired uh, somehow. Uh, I, I can see the pattern, and I once I like trace back to the root, it's always this guy. Yeah. Next question then. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Actually, uh, well, 
based on my previous response, I I, I mentioned like uh, Blizzard Studios and uh, Squaresoft back then, Squaresoft. Uh, but actually, actually, like I was inspired the most by uh, by a lot of small indie game developers uh, as of recent years, the past ten years that uh, they have been coming up with a lot of awesome works from small scale development, and they managed to scale up and up, and also uh, and also some of them maintain uh, a, maintain a very small team while continuing to churn out like bigger and better updates for their one and only games. Take, for example, uh, Fractal Software, uh, who work on Star Sector. It, it was only two guys, and like they've been. If if you check if, if you check the games out, it's pretty much. I I I I would say that it's pretty much a lot better version of Ashes Kingdom per se, with a lot simpler graphic, graphic. And they, they did a very good job at like slowing down their development pacing because they can keep themselves small and they, you know, they have a lot of time thinking about what they're going to put into the game and keep updating the game and manage to, manage to get the community and the game alive over such a long time. And the modding scene is also very big. And I kind of admired the mentality of being able to work on games as a hobby over extended period of time. Uh, I went with different approach of acquiring funding, and you know we have we have pacing and we have schedule that we need to follow, and we need to kind of like come up with solution. And sometimes we have to uh, we need to come up with the solution a little bit prematurely before we can come up with perfect solution to something and then we implemented it and then we found out that that's a better way but then you know we have scale to cash so we can't do it and a guy like you know Eric Baron who worked on Stardew Valley right yeah he, he did a very good job at like taking his own pace upgrading graphic over time get connected with the audience and and basically for whatever reason, he managed to not having to rush thing, and it turns out very, very well for him. I don't really, uh, I am not really in the environment where I could do that, but I really admire uh, everyone who is in the environment that could do that. Also, also uh, a couple who started Telltale, uh, who start Tailwell Studios uh, that made Bannerlord, right, Modern Blade series. I did follow them from very long time ago. They have a pretty, uh, they have a pretty interesting start. It was pretty rough for like the first three to four years of uh, that they started to do things, but they they managed to like start doing their own thing when when they were a lot younger than I do, which I kind of a little bit jealous. But they 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 do went through the ups and the down of like you know getting to the point where the games actually look like something and getting paradox to interest in the game and decided to publish Warband. Actually, Warband is not really the first version of Bannerlord. I saw the first version of uh, I'm sorry uh, of Mountain Blade. I saw the first version of Mountain Blade and it's not very inviting, but I can see that it's it's going somewhere. And like you know when when we first like finish the, I'm not. I, I wouldn't say finish pre-production, but when Airship was in pre-production, 
I would show it around, and there's a lot of like you know negative feedbacks and people telling me to stop working on it and things like that. I have a lot of that thrown at me, and 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 I and because I worked on that about four or five years ago, that was like after I learned about uh, I learned the story uh, from uh, from uh, from these guys who uh, these guys who start Tailwell. I managed to convince myself to keep going because they experience what I have been experiencing, and therefore I have something to tell myself that these negative feedback. Are not going to be there forever. As soon as we work on, we keep on improving. As soon as we put our minds to it, things will get better. So yeah, these are people that I truly admire more than uh, I would say more more than people who have inspired me during my childhood and my younger years. Yes, I I really really admire these people, and I really really admire the mentality of like pushing things through. Uh, letting the idea mature before you actually put your hands on them and things like that. Some I can actually practice. Some I just can't because we have we are under different circumstances. But yeah, that would be my response. Yeah, perseverance. So last question for the first half. Here we are. What are you playing right now, Jay? I have been away from gaming for fun for about half a year now, but. I do have my baby boy, and we play Minecraft together on weekends. And so I've been introducing him to like you know crafting table, how to how to you know how to smack creeper with sword without it blowing up in your face and things like that, and, and how to craft things. Yeah, we 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 have a very good time in our own you know little. Uh, the kid and the dad Minecraft server uh, that that we set up together, and that has been like that has been something that I do every weekend. Actually, I sp- like spending time with my kids, and yeah, uh, aside from the usual going outside and having play with other things, we do play Minecraft together. That's lovely. Uh, it's one of the most phenomenal success games, success stories of video games. It's outsold. GTA, which people think, no, well, nothing else solves that. Actually, <laughs> actually, <laughs> as much as GTA is an amazing phenomena, so is Minecraft. So, yeah, and the whole genre that it gave birth to. Some people have done it really well, like Stardew Valley, which you mentioned. Some, not so much, which I'm not going to mention, but you know what I'm talking about. They, get, they basically fall into the trap of throwing too much at the player about realising they've got to gently ease them in, which is something you've definitely learned with making Airship Kingdoms Adrift. We're going to delve into right now. So let's delve into the second half of the show where we're going to fly high, actually, with Airship Kingdoms Adrift.
So the first question, Jay, is before we go into this, before we expand into great depths, that is basic the drift. Can you tell us what it is in your own words? Well, in my own words, it's a game I have been I've been aspired to make for a very long time. And I wanted to create uh, I wanted to create a setting, actually, where airship and people and the world in the sky could exist together and make sense. So that, that is actually what I set out to create, the setting, right? So that, that's the reason we have characters, we have the ships, and we have the places and the event that is ongoing with the world. And yeah. That that would be my take. There is, there are other aspects that I would like to cover. Actually, people like uh, since the game is released, I've realized that I've made big mistakes. People have been looking at the trailer, the teaser, and the descriptions, and there are two camps. One camps their mind go this way. The other camp their mind go this way. So. We have people who are play elite, who are play freelancers, who are play, who are play uh, Sid Meier Pirates, who are play Port Royale, Starpoint Gemini. People who have been playing games with which you have chips and you have a few ships that follow your ships and you would go around and you would do things and you would take on quests, you would progress the story, you would explore, you would, but you are with your ship, but you are with your ships, right? And you go around, you, you meet people, you, you do whatever, but you are always with your ship, and that is what you have, have, right? These people, when they pick up the game, they play it, they like it, they enjoy it a lot. And we, uh, and we, actually, like, we actually broaden like, this kind of game's experience beyond what other, uh, what other games I've mentioned earlier actually have. So they believe they got extra they have a lot of things that they can do and they like it. Then there are people who are a lot more imaginative and they imagine something along the line like Stellaris, like Anno, right? like X, like Modern Blades, for instance, where you have where, where you start with, with like with one airship. And then you grow it into such a large fleet. You conquer cities. You you conquer city. You make friends with factions. You 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 expand your faction. You have other you have other commander working under you, running another fleet of airships, establishing trade routes, and produce a lot of products, sell everywhere. And and these people got really really angry when they pick up the game. <laughs> <laughs> because like be- because we have such an inferior set of features when 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 you want to do something big and grand right because like from the beginning since the design and the way the engine was sort of engineered and the way everything got put together we were leaning toward the Sid Meier pirates and that side of the fair and yeah, that is what Airship Kingdom Adrift actually is, and what people think it is. Right, 
It reminds me a little bit of Everspace 2 in some regards. Ooh. We've had yeah. them on the show, so I can talk about that. I've had a lot of that. I love this kind of... And there's uh, King of Seas as well, which is similar, and they've been on the show as well. So I'm, I'm attracted to this. You are just... You, the Avatar, is... You're never named. You're just the commander. And you have every, you have all these people interact. I love this aspect, which I think we're going to delve into a little bit. But the fact is you have all these characters and these people you talk to and these adventures, and they send you off and you find mysterious things going on that seem you seem to think you know what's going on, but then the rug is pulled from under you and go, no, actually you have no idea what's going on. It's There's a much bigger picture than you could possibly realise. And it's, it's the mystery. The thing about Airship Kingdoms of Drift is this. It's all about questions. You know, you have so, I had so many questions. Every time I get answers to them, it just generates more questions, which is great because that's what drives me on. I'm an explorer. I like to see new worlds and new worlds that other people have created. And you've definitely created one here. And that's what drives me. And I don't want, if I wanted, a vast 4X game that you just described. I would play one. <laughs> okay? I, I yep. would play one. I mean, I'm a big fan of Civ. But I'm a pro tip, everyone. Don't play Civ, the first one. It hasn't aged well. Trust me. Really. The, the Gandhi bug is real. Anyway... <laughs> but if you want that, you can go... Play. No, this is an adventure game. That's what I said in in the virtual green room. This is a airship kingdom to drift. Does have all sorts of things: trading, commodities, crafting, all of that. But at its core, in my opinion, you may disagree, but at its core, it's an adventure game with all this amazing paraphernalia attached to it. But really, it's just this beautifully rendered and wonderfully realised adventure game, and that's how I've treated it, and that's what I've delved into. And I've got a lot of fun out of that. So thank you. Whether that was the intention or not, I don't know, but that's what I got out of it. So Thank you. Yeah, you, 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 grab, you grab it on the right end. Yeah. Thank you. So my first design question, Jay, here we go. There's a great deal to do in uh, Airship Kings of Drift. There's, there's a lot. But you do not pressure the player to explore all this because that's overwhelming to some maybe not to others. Um, but instead you allow the player to discover that themselves at their own pace. But I'll, while you've, you know, the version I've played, the 1.0 version, or 1.1, I think now, version of Airship Kingdoms of Drift, that's the version I've played. Can you tell us how you got to that place? Because it couldn't have been easy. Mm. Well, it's quite an interesting question, actually. We, we, Everyone perceives patterns, right? When you start off, when you when you started off in the first in the first town, uh, in the first port, the first settlement, you have you have a list of things that you can interact with, right? And this list of things on the right side of the screen, it keeps changing between places, and every time you go somewhere it takes time. And when it takes time, you don't really want to go back and check out what is in there 
the second time you want to check everything out the first time you're there so that you know what is there. So what ended up happening is people would always look for what make this new place different from the one they came from or the one they have visited. And in Kingdom of Rift, we managed to make sure that every single settlement is unique. It's, pro- it's produced something different. It has some, it has some thread, some start of the storylines that is different. And we also added a quest that take you between place to place voluntarily or mandatory, right? Mandatory would be the main quest. But during the main quest, you would always, you would always like plan the warriors by looking at all the quests that ask you to go somewhere. If it's the same destination as where you're going next with the main quest, you would take you you would take on that quest and then you would travel along. And that would help save your time, right? As a player, you always look for optimization. And when you try to optimize, when you try to optimize things in this game, you end up finding new content that help you optimize. And because every time you go to a new place, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to go there again to find out what it is. It's you all, then you always browse all the menus and find out what is available there. So this aspect of the game, the discovery aspect of the game, even though we don't have things like Fog of War or, or something that obscure players from like, you know, knowing where things are, we, we, we do have a little bit of information withheld from the player when they haven't yet explored a certain place. And once they're there, they don't really want to forget about it. They would remember the unique feature of the place before they move on. So that's pretty much how it is. Uh, there are people who are frustrated by that because, of course, people on the right side, they want everything laid out in front of them <laughs> and they want everything unlocked from the beginning. I, 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 I don't mean that it's bad. It's just not the way, uh, not, not the way we designed the game to be. And those feedback are great. Maybe we work on the next game. We have a separate sandbox mode where everything is unlocked from the beginning and they get to play with everything, right? Uh, that, that could be the future potential. But yeah, the, the way things are, we design it like this. Every port is unique. Everywhere you go is unique. There's always something hidden somewhere and everywhere you travel along, we have the main quest line and then we have things that support the main quest line and get you to go around, explore a little bit further, maybe come back and then resume your main quest and in the end, it takes you all over the world and you find out that everywhere is unique, like as in really unique, unique. And it takes a lot of brain power and a lot of allocations and things to make sure that it is. Because uh, in, in most of the Forex game, you end up having similar things that is going on in different places. It's just a little bit of a different, uh, a little bit of the parameters to make it a little bit unique and specific in terms of optimizing things out. Like, you know, you build, like every time you build a, a, a new city in Sif, like every city is unique in terms that it get different kind of output tiles around it, but then it get processed the same way by the city. Uh, we don't really do that. We make sure that everything is unique because we promote exploration. So, yep, that's how we... How we made it.
Now, when you explore, you end up fighting people. You can't stop it. It happens. You see something shiny. I call this the Skyrim effect. People flying across the sky. Like, oh, look. Look at that. What's that? That looks interesting. And then suddenly a pirate ship or some ne'er-do-well comes swooping in to try and take you out. So combat is inevitable in airship kingdoms adrift, generally speaking. Uh, I say inevitable. There might be ways of avoiding it, but anyway. So the combat occurs, everyone, on a 2D plane. They're in the skies, but this is not, you know, X-Wing or something like that. It's not that it's not, you can't sort of like, these ships are not like the ships that we know that fly around and jump up and do all sorts of loop-loops and stuff. Honestly, if an S-16 was in this game, it would be dominating. It would destroy everything. Um, but it's not. So, but it's a 2D plane. And what's interesting is that it's a there is an ability because it's a bit, it is very much like ocean-bound ship combat in that you can actually manoeuvre yourself so you can swing your your broadside around, do a massive broadside against it, and then then just pull off and, and squeal off. So as they're firing, they completely miss you. It's very satisfying. Could you talk us through the design of um, of the combat system in uh, Airship Kingdoms of Drift? So actually this aspect is very straightforward. You have ships, right? Every single ship is based on the same principle. Ships have grids, and on, uh, and on those grids, you can put guns and put other parts in. Uh, so guns would require ammo. You would need ammo storage, and, it would, uh, and they would require power. So you need power, uh, power generator. And ships would need a command area where the crews and, uh, and the officers hang out and do their stuff and things like that. And, of course, airships require drive called mana drive it it the 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 2d paint surface that you see is actually like an invisible ocean so the world is actually in invisible water that's how that's how we explain how things float and how things are in the sky so everything is submerged in invisible water and the drive on board the ship allow the ship to interface with somewhat of a makeshift surface that let them go around so uh for 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 the combat every guns would have firing arcs and range and reload time so when you are uh when you are swooping in to you know fire salvo and swoop out the enemies would have to would have to lock on to you within their firing arcs and shoot if you make it out before uh before their shots arrive at your ship at the maximum distance, then you can somewhat uh, keep yourself safe from taking hits. There are many other methods because guns have firing arcs and most guns are pointed to the side and the front of the ship. You would, if, you ha- if you are on smaller and more agile ship, you can circle yourself behind larger ships to keep on firing at this stern. And there are things like you know, larger guns require longer reload. You could get in and bait for the enemy to shoot at you while you swoop out. And during the reload, during the reload window, you can dive in and start shooting and then comes out if you are if you time it right. Or maybe just swoop past the uh, the bow of the ship when the reload is finished and you would only take fire from the forward 
forward guns. So there are many ways of playing it. Of course, there are there are players who who who, who don't like to think too much and would just like you know circle around and hold space bar and the ship just keep shooting each other's and it's a it's it's pretty much end up being a battle of who has better armor, <laughs> who has better armors, more shields and things like that, which is also a way uh, a legit way of playing it. You know, if you like farming up resource, having bigger ships and having bigger guns and having more of everything than the opponent, then that would be a very legitimate strategy. But then again, where's the fun in that, right? You like using small ships against larger ones. You you know, you you like to be. Uh, I, I, most people like to be the underdog, of, you know. And 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 when you beat and 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 when you beat, beat larger opponents, it's very satisfying. I I I also understand like you know being in big ships and beat everybody's up is also very satisfying to a lot of people. And I'm uh, it's kind of uh, that is kind of okay. But there are ways of enjoying enjoying Kingdom of Rift more than just having the largest ship in the world and beat everybody up. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I do like boarding actions, though. They're fun. But I'll let, let listeners, ex- you know, discover that for themselves because it's not easy getting up that close. But once you do, it's very satisfying when you pull it off because you can actually take and you, you can capture other people's ships, everyone. It's wonderful. But, well, you know, Times are pressing. We move on to the next question. Resource management in uh, Airship Kingdoms Adrift. There's like four resources, uh, technically, fuel, materials, ammunition. But you do gently ease the player into understanding the importance and when each one is used quite well. How did you develop this aspect of the game? Was there always four resources? Was there less? Were they there? Were they added later? I'm just curious about how you made this management part of the game. It's very, very clever in that it, doesn't, it demonstrates to the player that you don't have infinite resources. There are things you've got to manage when you go out. Every time you go out from a port, you're at risk of losing part or all of those resources. So just I want you to talk to me about how you, they were introduced and how you introduce it to the player. This is one. Uh, this is one of the most interesting questions, actually. It sounds as if you were a part of the development community from the beginning. Actually, like a year, uh, a year and a half ago, we only have one resource, and that is supplies. If supplies run out, ammo regeneration, power regeneration, and all of that would stop. You wouldn't be able to, let's say, you can play, but the, the performance of the ship would start deteriorating. And a lot of playtesters find that to be quite unintuitive, even though, like, you know, Star Sector by Fractal Software, one of the team that I admire quite a lot, also have supply. And of course, they are filled too, but they use fill a little bit differently. And then, like once the one, once the fleet run out of supply, everything will start deteriorating the same way we do. So somehow, for whatever reasons, people feel different uh, differently. And I kind of also imagine that it's because the setting is different and the way we travel in Kingdom of Rift is a little bit different. So the community came together and brainstormed how we should handle this 
and I was a part of the conversation. And then this like resource management feature actually was developed by the community along, uh, yeah, in terms of design, of course, like we do the coding and everything, but the, the, the idea was developed by the community with me being the moderator. And also like I implement some part of it, not implement some part of it. The community version was quite hardcore with like when, every, uh, when things start running out, there would be a lot more consequence than what, what we have right now. But, but yeah, if every single aspect of resource management is quite self-explanatory and that is the reason why it's quite easy for players to 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 ease in because like as soon as you start your voyage right and the ship start cruising the fuel start ticking down and eventually at one point it will run out but you don't really like the, the ship doesn't come to a complete stop you just can't cruise anymore so player learns automatically that once the food once the fuel run out they would go on at a normal speed and 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 like normal speed it's not that bad you just like you know you just you just spend like three times more time to go from somewhere to somewhere and and you usually don't just start with you know start without feel you start with feel right so players usually learn that during pretty much the last leg of the trip then and find out a little bit they have to put up with a little bit of that and then they understood that feel pretty straightforward right and then as soon as you start encountering enemies and you start firing the ammo goes down and then they would have to stop at the next settlement to top it up and they discover that ammo is expensive so they need to manage it right so that is also quite straightforward and then when they start taking damage right uh the uh the, the the material would start getting converted into repair and that's there goes it it, it it sort of comes naturally with each of the game mechanic and once chip parts start getting destroyed they will start losing crews and then at a certain point and 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 as soon as they start losing crews the the total morale will start going down right that that actually happens from the first few encounters into the game and and then as soon as you finish the prologue you pick up your colleague and he becomes your gunner. And he comes with a skill, an activation skill. We call it tactics, right? He comes with a tactics that consume morale over time. And as soon as that, as soon as player activate that and morale starts to go down, they understand right away that more, what morale is for. And like the less, the less crew you have on board, the less morale you have to, you know, to go around. So that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Other yeah. kind of resource would pretty much be like the overarching thing, like cargo space and, uh, and money and things like that. But those are very, very intuitive. They are indeed. Now, they're all bolstered by a remarkable user interface. It is beautiful, everyone. It is all very steampunk-like, any way to describe it. Uh, and it's all valves and pistons and brass and shiny stuff could you tell us um why did you adopt this style i mean what what did it what was the what was, was it always there because of the setting did the setting inform the style just you know tell us about how that evolved please so we actually have uh the interface guy join us uh half a year after we started the company so it's very recently 
uh, the first version of the GUI is actually gone, and the uh, the first thing we the first thing that we decided to do is pretty much to find something that suits the aesthetic of uh, you know 1800 18, between 1800 and 1900 because that is actually the setting that we are going after. We are we are in the transition between selling chips to the ironclads and the dashboard the gauge, the dial, the clockwork aesthetic things starting to come around. And people, people look back from our period to that period and imagine those kind of things. I, based on my personal study, they don't actually look like this, but people look back from, from this time period we are in toward that time, and, and this is what they see. So it's, it's, it pretty much, it's pretty much a design decision from the moment we start designing the GUI, and then it starts to evolve after some few iterations because we found out that I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old now and I've been around for a little while. And like my, 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 my thought and memories tend to go back to the time when, when I was playing these kind of games and there are interface everywhere. So when I do design brief and when I request like, you know, the, the UI guys to design things, my brain is cluttered with all of this information showing you everything you need to know. And there are numbers and letters everywhere, right? But then after some playtesting and after some reflection, after I go around and play games that come out during, during, this, during this decade, there are general trends toward making sure that the screen is cleared of everything almost at all time. And then things would only show up when players want them to show up. So this, the design started to evolve in a way that we start getting rid of information from the screen and start clearing things up. And, and, and like we, are, we end up somewhat in the middle because we can't really clear everything out and and there are a lot of a lot of work when it comes down to actually like you know design a game uh, to design a game with UIs that come up on demand is a lot more difficult than the ones that actually show everything all the time. We have got a lot of feedback post launch in terms of us having too many things on the screen, and people find it confusing. People find it intrusive, and there's not a lot we can do about it as of this point because, you know, there are in game development, you have technical debt and you have a lot of technical issues that once you decide to do something a certain way, it's very difficult to just change everything into the other way. But yeah, this, this, this feedback actually helps us a lot with, you know, the consideration for, for future projects and things like that, you know, how, how we are going to do things differently because during the playtesting, actually, we appeal to people of the same demo demographic that I am, for whatever reasons. <laughs> and, and, and we have a lot of feedback from people who play games with a lot of DUI and they don't feel bad about it. But I as soon as we start, yeah. Yeah, it's selective viewing, knowing what's important. It's there, but right now it's not important. They just should be looking at other gauges, just like yeah. any other gauge in a train or a you know steam engine or something like that that's how i view it you don't have to look at a lot of the gauges on the steam engine until you maybe are refilling the coal 
or doing redoing the the steep the the, the the pressure valves and actually checking the pressure and you only look at those when you're doing that you know it's there for a reason but it's not you don't need to look at it all the time and that's what people get confused about but for me the dials the lights it's all great it's fantastic so airship kingdoms of adrift uh, it's been developed by a revolution industry can you tell us where, where did you get the name for the company from ah revolution industry uh where do i get the name hmm. yeah we actually we actually do brainstorming in the company <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, so, so everybody comes up with a lot of names and like, well, we are trying to come up with something that, well, we are industrious people. We want, we want to appear industrious. We want to appear like we work toward, we, we work for what we deserve. So the, the word industry need to be in there somewhere. And then the next question is like what we are working on, on, and, you know, toward the theme and the way and and the way like the way the story in games present itself, uh, we are looking at something that would revolutionize uh, revolutionize things, uh, something that would bring something new, bring some new perspective, and yeah, the word revolution, which means things turning around, you know? and we work we we work industrious. We are industrious at working toward turning things around. Um, seems like something that we could work together on. So yeah. that that's pretty much brought, what brought about the name of the company. A very literal name. I like it. And uh, so, yes, Airship Kingdoms of Drift is published by Freedom Games as well and is available on what platforms? It's on, it's on Steam and soon it will come out on Epic and GOG. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Jay, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Genuinely has. Really enjoyed your uh, detailed explanation of each of the things. That's, I could have, there's another 10 questions I had. No time. You know, I wanted to go into the shipbuilding. You, uh, you, you touched on it, the editing. The sh- it's amazing, everyone. But I let you, it's a bit like XCOM base building, only with a ship. It's amazing. But wonderful, wonderful stuff, Jay. And, and uh, I do wish you the very best of luck with uh, Airship Kingdoms Adrift. And you're more than welcome to come back to chat about what you're next working on, which is probably in your brain right now. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chris. Well, that was a bit of a lengthy chat. Thanks for listening through. Appreciate it. But I hope you found it as interesting as I did. And Jay was a great guest. Do look forward to having him on again in the future. Now, speaking of the future, episode 473 will feature Hans Jacobs and Gianluca Sorrento of Bolt Blaster Games talking about their VR shooty arcade game, which is one of the most entertaining games I've played in VR, and that is Gazzlers. It's actually one of the first games I've played on the MetaQuest 3, which I acquired this year, as most people did, because that's when it came out. Anyway, yeah, so... Do look out for that next week. But thank you so much for listening. It is always appreciated. Let's listen to pre-recorded me talk about Kane and Rins and things. Bye! You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Kane and Rince Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rince for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, 
YouTube and at our website, canorince.com. <laughs>